This is Leah Jones, Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. Thanks for joining me today as I explore topics that I hope arm you with the ability to make smart financial decisions. This is Leah Jones from Hightower Bethesda, and today I have a special guest on our podcast, none other than Mike Zoller, who is Hightower Bethesda's Senior Investment Analyst. He has over 13 years of experience in the industry, and most specifically, he's been on our team for a little over two years. Is that right, Mike? That's that's right, yep. All right, two years. That's right. Time flies when you're having fun. So, um, Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. And what we are going to talk about is Hightower Bethesda every year comes up with their 10 investment themes in January. And we'll be sending those out to all of our clients so you can see them in detail. But today we just want to talk high level about those themes. And so I thought we could kind of start with macro and you're a macro guy. So, uh, tell me a little bit about Hightower Bethesda's macro view going into 2021. Sure. Um, you know, everything in our, every forecast we're going to have this year is going to be built on a foundation of our forecast for COVID, right? I mean, that, that's going to be uh, the driving force. So really, like, I think a good place to start is, is our base forecast for COVID, and then we can build from there. So, um, we're kind of, you know, we're not scientists. We're kind of using outside sources for this. Uh, obviously, we think uh, the, the the vaccine rollout has been a little slower than expected, but we do uh, expect that to accelerate. So really, we think the first half of the year is going to be getting uh, case counts down, hospitalizations down, death counts down, and getting vaccination rates up. Uh, so really what that means is by the summer of this year, of 2021, we're going to start seeing a little more normalization. And then, uh, you know, we're going to see a, a return to a, a new normalcy uh, over the course of the second half of the year. One of the other things we're looking at is uh, the political situation as well. He, obviously, uh, we've had a, uh, a major election at the end of 2020, uh, and you know, uh, President Biden is set to be inaugurated next week. Um, the Democrats now have control of the House, uh, and it's a split Senate with uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, you know posting the tie-breaking vote. So we're saying that the Democrats have control there. In terms of politics and how it's going to affect the economy uh, uh, this year, one of the things we are expecting is Biden is going to announce near-term stimulus. And as uh, as we're recording this, uh, he is slated to make an announcement today. Uh, it looks like there is going to be, he's going to, he's going to ask for a big stimulus, partly focusing on uh, treating COVID, uh, getting case counts down and, and increasing funding for vaccination. And then there's also going to be an economic component. Um, right now, the details I saw are still a little vague. And um, obviously, this will have to go through Congress. Um, so it's still unclear exactly what's going to happen, but we do expect some stimulus uh, that's going to be supportive of the economy. Beyond that, um, we're expecting some some aid to the state and local governments, and we're yeah, it's it's going to be somewhere around the size of one trillion dollars. You know, a, a little more, a little less, depending on on how Congress moves. Um, beyond stimulus, we do expect some some economic policies that Biden could tackle, including raising interest or raising tax rates on um, uh, higher net worth or higher income individuals. Uh, we might see some corporate tax reform. But again, those details are still a little, a little um, unknown on our end, uh, so it's it's a little harder to forecast that. So it sounds like the first two things you're talking about um, have the potential 
to be very positive for the markets from a macro view, right? Like COVID, there's some normalization by this summer. People start living their lives a little bit more freely. Um, and then, you know, we have removed the uncertainty in terms of what what direction the government will take going forward. Plus, now we know there's more likely than not to be pretty aggressive stimulus. Now, the last thing you mentioned seems like it could be a negative, right, um, in terms of taxes and them being higher, both at a corporate and an individual uh, level. In general, the thesis is, well, if that happens, then people, you know, spend less money because they're giving more money to the government. So how does that all play out in terms of the overall recovery in 2021? Well, so, so first, I, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer to think that higher tax rates inherently mean weaker economic growth. I think a bigger issue for markets is policy uncertainty. And markets can really adjust to, you know, higher and lower tax rates overall. So I wouldn't necessarily go into this thinking that a higher tax rate is going to be a massive drag overall on the economy, especially if the if higher tax rates are really targeted at specific higher income groups. I'm not too worried about that. And again, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. Any any policy related to that is still pretty unknown. We don't even really have a timeline. And I, I would find it a bit surprising if Biden pursued raising tax rates in a still shaky economy. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I don't really see an obstacle for economic recovery on that front yet. So tell me a little bit about 2021 and kind of how does this compare to other periods where we were coming out of a re- recession? And, and what do we really think this this means? All these factors that we just talked about, what do we think this means? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for the economic recovery in 2021 is that we are not in a uh, we're, we're not in a 2000. 2009, 2010, or a 2001, 2002 recession recovery. This is a very different situation. And one of the defining characteristics of this recovery, I think, is going to be the massive pent-up demand that exists. Now, in every recession, there's always there's always going to be uh, pent-up demand as people start cutting back to save money. Um, but the major difference in, in the 2020 recession that really has massive implications for the 2021 recovery is that Americans are now sitting on massive piles of cash, really unprecedented levels. Um, according to the Federal, Federal Reserve, uh, the national savings rate is about 13% right now. Now, um, that's actually down from uh, Q2 when it hit 30%. Um, <laughs> but 13% is still a insanely high number. In fact, uh, like the only time the United States ever sustained a savings rate that high was in 1973, and it was for a very brief period. Um, to put that in perspective, um, coming out of the 2008, 2009, 2010 recession, our savings rate was 2%, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. even going into the 2020 recession, we were the national savings rate was only at you know somewhere around 7%, 8%. Right, which so was still higher people, than normal. Which is still very high, right? Yeah, and I so remember- People went into the recession- I remember during, no, I just remember during the global financial crisis before it happened, the savings rate, to your point, was actually negative, right? Because people were like levering themselves. Yeah, Yeah, people were levering themselves up so much. So, yes, this is a very significant number. So, the fact that Americans went into the recession with significant savings and in the recession saved more, and part of that is really like we we collectively as a society had forced savings, right? Like, uh, we're not really going out to restaurants, we're not traveling as much, we really don't even have opportunities to spend money. Um, So we're sitting on this massive pile of cash. We have this pent-up demand. 
Um, really, what we are expecting in high power Bethesda is that as soon as Americans are literally able to, uh, there's just going to be this massive flood to go out and buy uh, everything that we can. And there's going to be implications, um, you know, broader economic implications for that. I know one of the things, Leah, that we're going to talk about later is inflation. Uh, and this is going to be a key component of that. Um, but for the most part, this is going to be really good. We're going to see less of, uh, you know, coming out of the 2008 recession, the recovery was was pretty tepid and weak. What we really expect here is a more uh, aggressive rebound. Mm-hmm. And I know a big another big difference is jobs, right? Right. Uh, again, the 2008 recovery or the 2008 recession was really a broad based economic drawdown. Um, where people across the board, both in uh, low-paying and high-paying jobs, uh, you know, they, they experienced job cuts. Well, one of the differences we saw in 2020 is that job losses have really been concentrated in um, low-paying industries that have a, a, a smaller multiplier effect. Now, I don't want to be callous, right? These are still job losses, and these people are still being affected. But the ramifications on a more macro level are, 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 are smaller, right? Um, and the, one of the other things that the federal government did fairly successfully is that even with, with people who lost their jobs in 2020, they did get uh, uh, some, some economic stimulus, right? There was, uh, of course, we have unemployment insurance, but they got extra unemployment checks, and there were some stimulus paychecks. And that, so that did help to fill in the gap a little bit. Well, uh, I think now that we've talked about macro, let's get a little bit more specific. And let's talk about our forecast uh, for the equity markets. Yeah, on the equity front, and I, I don't think this should be surprising coming off uh, what I just said. Uh, one of the things that we really think uh, is worth keeping an eye on is cyclicals. Uh, and actually, you know, let me take a step back. One of, the, one of the things that everybody needs to always remember about the stock market is that the stock market is supposed to be forward looking. And the general rule of thumb is that the stock market looks ahead six months. So, You know, the things I'm saying aren't surprising. So some of these things are already going to be priced into the stock market. Um, And when I say keep an eye on cyclicals, what I mean is is that there are some of that rebound has already been priced into uh, cyclical stocks, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's all been priced in. So this is something we're going to keep an eye on and be very cognizant of, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a buying opportunity. Beyond cyclicals or within cyclicals, one of the other things we're we're looking at is the consumer sector, right? As I said, we're we're seeing all this pent-up demand. Um, in 2020, people you, you, people really weren't able to cut back on goods. Uh, uh, spending on goods held up pretty strongly. That makes sense, right? You still had to buy groceries, and you were, you were able to buy, uh, you know, your coffee machine through Amazon. Um, but you know, consumer sector service-based industries. Think of hotels and restaurants, bars and uh, manicurists and spas and salons. Those got hit really hard. So we really think there's there is some opportunity there uh, for for some rapid growth. And just just for our viewers that might not know what cyclicals means, um, can you just kind of define that in layman terms? Sure. Uh, so some some stocks or some companies, um, their their business operations or their cash flows or revenues are really dependent on um, the the business cycle, right? As we move from re- uh, recession into recovery into expansion, and you can really think of cyclicals as um, things that are really dependent on confidence and uh, on, that, that are dependent on consumer spending. So uh, you can think of hotels, restaurants. These things, people consume more of them when they feel when they feel more confident in their economic situation and when they have more money. And so obviously in a recession, when they're scared or when they lost their jobs, they're not spending as much, and so they cut back on those things. Right. So these are these are like non-discretionary things, right? Like you discretionary is you have to get food, you have to pay your rent, you have to 
pay your utility bills. These are kind of non-discretionary, but people still like to have and do when they have when they have good money, right? Yeah, it's reversed, right? Discretionary is that you you can um, you can choose not to spend that money, but non-discretionary is like groceries, right? Yes. See, that's why you're a senior investment analyst. <laughs> I got to earn my paycheck, right? <laughs> you know, some of the other things we're looking at is are within the equity sector are going to be uh, technology stocks, and, and of course, uh, you, you know, we do expect there still to be some potential for growth, right? Uh, the, the COVID, um, the COVID recession created quite a few opportunities for some techn- technological shifts, um, and specific companies may be able to reap those benefits. So that's really something that that we, uh, as an investment committee at Hightower Bethesda, we're keeping an eye on. Got it. Okay, so. What does that mean for technology and growth? Because that has been all the rage. It's been the you know leading driving force in the markets. Is that how is that going to do? Yeah. So uh, the the environment in which growth stocks benefit that's that's going to be twenty twenty one, right? Uh, we're seeing very cheap money. Um, the Federal Reserve, and we're, we're going to come back to this later. The Federal Reserve is keeping interest rates low um, for the foreseeable future, so money is going to remain very cheap, and that's very favorable to um, growth stocks. Early stage recoveries tend to favor growth stocks in particular. So, like a lot of the things that have been driving growth stocks over the past decade, we really see that, that that's going to continue this year as well. And so, even though growth stocks had a spectacular 2020, um, there might still be some opportunity out there for them to, to grow further. Okay, so the jury is not out on uh, technology being, you know, done. Um, so we should continue to kind of look for opportunities there as well. So let's move on to fixed income. Mm-hmm. What what does what does Hightower Bethesda thinking on the fixed income front? So again, for our listeners, this what we're really just talking about is bonds. Bonds, right? Yep. Um, so the the two real factors that that drive bonds are going to be, and this is always the case, are going to be inflation and uh, interest rates. So let's pick off interest rates first. Um, interest rates, as I kind of alluded to earlier, uh, we expect them to stay low for longer, um, and that shouldn't be surprising. The Federal Reserve already came out and said that they intend to keep interest rates low through at least 2024. Now, we have seen a little bit of an upward shift in rates since the, the trough of the economy in, in uh, 2022 or 2023, um, but we still really haven't seen a, re- a return to normalcy. So what that really means for investors in um, fixed income is there's going to be this chase for yields that may not necessarily be in the best interest of an individual investor. Because interest rates are going to stay so low and yields are therefore going to stay so low, uh, we do anticipate that invest that some investors are going to be going down the quality ladder. So, Leah, I, I know you know, but maybe our, our listeners don't, that right bonds are t- tend to be uh, divided between investment grade and what used to be called junk and now are called high yield. With People eager for yield and not finding it in investment grade, they might shift from investment grade down to that high yield. Again, that might be not necessarily the right decision for all investors, right? High yield inherently is riskier. You're going to have lower quality companies. You're going to have uh, less predictable cash flows. Uh, but we do see this trend, uh, th- this potential for a trend, and, and this is not something that we're necessarily encouraging. On the other side of that, uh, of the fixed income coin is going to be uh, inflation. Now, I, I, I'm sure 
you know, all of our listeners know that inflation really hasn't been an issue in the United States for, for probably about 20, 25 years here. And while we don't necessarily see sy- systematic inflation being an issue in um, 2021, uh, I, I think, and I, I think the other members at Hightower Bethesda think that there is the risk for inflation. Now, one of the things I want to warn, and I mentioned this a little earlier, is that there's, with this pent-up demand issue that I, I talked about earlier, Americans are going to go run out and buy, buy, buy. That has, that has the potential to lead to a spike in inflation, um, but that's going to be different than a structural increase in inflation. Um, so while inflation may spike in the latter half of the year as Americans go out spending, that doesn't necessarily mean that it will persist over a one-year, two-year, three-year, five-year period. Um, and as a matter of fact, you know, the Federal Reserve, uh, when, they're, when they've given their guidance, they kind of, one of their obligations is they're supposed to be targeting an inflation target, and they put that around 2%. Uh, the Federal Reserve has actually said that they won't be worried about inflation. They're really going to target employment instead in the, in the near term. Um, and they don't, they're not going to worry about inflation until it gets out of control. So right. I, and I isn't, that, isn't that crazy? Like just to provide some context to our listeners, that's never happened before. <laughs> it's like a new, it's a new thing. It's weird because the, like I said, the federal reserve is, is, is bound by its mandate from Congress that they have to target both manageable inflation and full employment. So the fact that they're giving up on one of those things in the near term is, it's weird. It's weird. I think that's the best word to describe it. It's weird. And I think also the issue is once they start seeing signs of inflation and then if, then if they agree that it's an issue and they want to act on it, which is, you know, again, discretionary, um, then it becomes a little bit harder after the fact, right? To kind of right. try to, it, to it, rein it back in. If, if inflation does get out of control, it's much harder to bring it back under control. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If it's persistent. So if it's kind of a one-time or localized inflation based on this pent-up demand and it and it works itself out, then, you know, not a big issue. But if it's more persistent and the government's behind in trying to fight it, then it could be. So that's clearly something that we're keeping a close eye on. Um, now, I think when people think about inflation, you have to read the headline. So I thought maybe we could just address it here on home prices. So, you know, uh, every day it seems like there's kind of a new communication that home prices are at all-time highs. I'm sure you've seen it wherever you live. Something goes up, it comes down immediately um, in terms of being under contract. Places are going for above ask. So how does that factor in to inflation? So, uh, um, yeah, I, I agree with you, right? Everyone's seen these these uh, home price inflation numbers, and I think this, the last stat I saw was that home prices are now about 20% from year-ago level. And this does have the potential to be a, a, a driver of inflation over the long term, right? Um, the, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is generally accepted as the, the measure of inflation in the United States, home prices are about uh, – I'm sorry, not home, home prices – Housing costs are about a third of uh, of the overall weight of the index. So a spike in house prices really can translate to an increase in CPI. But the reason that I'm not particularly concerned about this yet is one, even though home prices have been rapidly increasing for for a few months now, you know, six to nine months, we really haven't seen that translate into anything in the CPI yet. Um, CPI is still only about 1.2 percent above year ago levels. Um, and the other thing is. is uh, I think a lot of these home price increase and these home price these home sales increases, um, we're mixing up local trends with national trends. Um, and so if we kind of like step 
stop looking at the forest and start looking at individual trees. These home price um, sales rallies or these home price rallies and these sales rallies are really only happening outside of these major metropolitan areas. And the one that I can pick on is New York City. We saw 300,000 households flee New York City. Um, and that really led to a spike up and down the Northeast Corridor and specifically in the suburbs of, of New York. At the same time, so we're seeing this as a really localized phenomenon. But two, and the reason that this is less of a concern for a persistent uh, inflation spike is that there's going to inevitably be a bit of a hangover effect. Um, as people rushed out and bought houses in, um, you know, let's say Westchester, New York, and farther afield, is that necessarily, that may have been where they wanted to be in 2020, but is that necessarily where they want to be in 2022, 2023, 2024? You know, New York City is always going to be New York City. Um, might there be a reversal reversal of those trends as people want to go back and, you know, live next to a theater or live next to the Yankee Stadium or live next to museums and great restaurants and stuff like that? Right. I, I think the prior to COVID, it, there is no doubt there was a very strong trend toward increased urbanization. You know, the closer to the city center, the better. And now it's an exact opposite of that. So the question to your point is, is that a long-term persistent trend or is that like a temporary kind of emotional, maybe potentially rational uh, decision? So, and I love, absolutely love the term hangover effect on rushed purchases. And I think that we should actually create a chart of that throughout 2021 and 2022 and just track some factors related to that because I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think people made kind of impulsive decisions um, and, and, you know, they were well-intentioned, but they might, they made them because also access to capital simultaneously was so inexpensive, right? I mean, during this downturn, people have been getting mortgages at 2%, 2.5%, maybe 2.8% if, you know, you're on the higher end, um, which just makes, makes it that much easier to make that type of rushed purchase, which otherwise, you know, you you wouldn't be able to. So I, yeah, I do, mm -hmm. I do totally think it's created a very unique environment for a potential hangover effect. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted on that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say one of the other things about these hangovers is housing isn't going to be the only industry that's going to have a hangover effect, right? Like one of the big ones that I, that I think is keeping an eye on is, is RVs. RV sales spikes through the roof in the summer. And I just, I, I don't know what people are going to do in two, three years when they when that's not how they're going to be vacationing in 2023, 2024. Yeah, well, I think I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to put together like five different indicators of this and we're going to track it and we'll uh, report on it at the uh, end of the year. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right. I'll get, I'll get right on that. That sounds good. So um, in closing, Mike, thank you so much. Um, and just final thoughts, anything else that people should be thinking about in uh, 2021? You know, I think there are three things that we didn't really cover, and I just want to just just roll through them really fast here in a minute. Um, you know, we didn't talk about small caps. Uh, the, the small caps also had a massive rally. Uh, domestic small caps had a massive rally in the United States. Um, there still might be a little more potential in there relative to large caps. That's a trend we're going to keep an eye on, but it's, it's a little more difficult to make a call on that. Um, over in Europe and developed markets, um, they tend to, on paper, they look a little more cheap relative to domestic stocks here in the U.S. Um, but, you know, we and other investors have fallen into that trap before. Uh, so we really don't want to repeat that value trap. So I think, uh, you know, people need to be cognizant of that. And then finally, EMs, 
EMs are really going to be a, a mixed bag in 2021. EMs are, are emerging markets, um, so that's, those are developing economies. Um, they're going to be a bit of a mixed bag, right? They tend to be a little more dependent on external factors. Um, so you, you can talk about commodity prices like uh, mined goods, oil prices, gold. Um, and they also be, tend to be a little more dependent on the value of the U.S. dollar. Um, so while we do see some, some depreciation in the U.S. dollar and we expect uh, commodity prices to increase, uh, EMs are also facing um, their own COVID issues, right? They're having a lot of um, difficulties accessing vaccines. They have a less robust healthcare system. Um, so that's going to be a drag. Uh, so EMs are going to be something that there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk, but there might be a lot of reward there. And that's something that people should be keeping an eye on as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Mike Zoller, Senior Investment Analyst at Hightower Bethesda for giving us your Thank thoughts. you for having me, Leah. And uh, like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, make sure to check out, we'll publish um, all 10 of our investment themes for 2021. So you can check them out in more detail and uh, let us know if you have any questions. Hightower Bethesda is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Bethesda and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.